I mean, that's awesome. That's pretty amazing. And uh, he again calls us to awaken, to arise out of our slumber, our sleep. Do the work he's called us to. So I'm going to ask you if you'd bow your heads with me, and let's ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning. Father, would you speak to our hearts? Would you uh, bring a word into us as you've been pouring, ministering? Lord, let this word begin to cause us to adjust our lives to our calling and purpose as a church. We ask for this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share with you a message this morning. I'm, I want to be very careful with it. It, it uh, uh, may not have... Um, I'll just share it with you. <laughs> you can evaluate it from there. What I'm going to talk about this morning is really the ultimate calling that all of us have and that this church has for this community and why we're here, why we get up on Sunday mornings and come Wednesday nights and any other nights in between and daily serve the Lord as a body. And so I, I want us to see our ultimate calling. So every church must have a purpose and that purpose must be bigger than you. Every church has a calling and has to have a calling, and that calling has to be bigger than you. The church you attend must have a calling bigger than you, more important than you. I'm not trying to minimize your life, your world. God loves you. But the church was not constructed for you. The church gathers together for him for him and the church has lost its way by designing all of our efforts and ministries for the people and and that's a miss see the church is the bride of Christ and we're to adore Christ we do want to meet your needs now guess who's supposed to meet the needs of the people the people together right a shepherd should minister to his flock, should care for the people, and the people collectively will find ourselves ministering one to another. God gave us gifts so that we can build up the body and minister to each other, but the full function of the church is not to minister to the Christians, and ultimately not even to minister to the lost. It's to minister to Christ and to praise and exalt Him. And when we get that in order, the rest will flow. When the church begins to minister unto Christ, we gather here today to exalt Him. Then we are filled and poured out by lavishing in His love, which causes us to change and meet our needs and reach a dying world. So we've got to get things in order. And so you'll never grow as a believer if you're the object of affection. I'm going to repeat that again. You'll never grow as a believer if you are the object of affection. You see, we love ourselves more than Him. We come to church for ourselves, not Him. We gather together to get something instead of give. If the object of our affection is us instead of Him, we're worshiping us. And if our object if, if we figure, I would love for us to begin to rate church a different way. I would love to rate, because so often we rate church on how we feel about it. Could you imagine if we began to rate church on Him? Did we glorify Him enough? Did we magnify Him enough? Did I spend my energy exalting the King this morning with all the people who feel the same way as I do? 
So I'm not ashamed to prompt you to worship God. I'm not ashamed to say, come on, exalt him, praise him, worship him, because that's why we're here. Our affections are so weighted down by our needs. And we've got to lose that. We've got to fall head over heels in love with him again. Go back to our first love and remember what the church is about. We're the, the bride adoring the bridegroom. So the church really needs to be cleansed and reoriented. And so Jesus is the one we worship, not the needs of the people. And many churches have oriented their programs to get people in and to get people to stay. And I'll tell you what, as Paul said to the Corinthian church, you know what, if you're doing everything in order and the gifts and everything are operating in order, the sinner will come in, fall to his knees and say, surely God is in this place. That's what will save the church. That's what will save the lost. Not how much we simplify and lessen the activities of the Spirit to keep them comfortable, but in fact, the Bible says quite the opposite. If you use the gifts and the realm of the Spirit and the supernatural, that's what the world needs. That's what they're looking for, something different that they've never, ever experienced. The holy, that which is other than this planet Earth. That's what holiness is. So the church is the body of Christ. Therefore, we must do what the head says. And Jesus has a plan for the kingdom of God to be uh, manifest in this earth. And what his plan is this, that his government would flow through the church. And so we're right now, we're in um, one of the outposts of the kingdom of God. We're in an embassy of the kingdom. So that when people come into here, they're coming into the embassy of the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, our flags look different. Therefore, our music sounds different. Therefore, our heart attitude and the culture of heaven is in our embassy. So that when people come in here, they get the flavor of the culture of heaven. And see, the culture of our societies have infiltrated the church and the embassies. We're dressing like the land we live in. We've become lukewarm, the same temperature as the surrounding air around us. Jesus said, I would rather have you hot or cold. Don't get that illustration messed up. He wants both, hot or cold. It's not, not on fire for me or lost. That is not the analogy Jesus is using. That's absolutely ludicrous. What he's saying is, I want you a different temperature than the city I put you in. I don't want you to reflect your culture. I want you to reflect my culture. I want you to be an embassy of the kingdom of heaven. And so this church is an embassy. It's an outpost. And God's planted them all over. It's really cool. His design is out of sight. Right down the street here is, is, is a church that follows Luther and uh, what God did through him in the Reformation. And God said, I'm going to put an embassy over there that's going to just multiply justification by faith. And people are going to like that. Down the road, there's Trinity Assembly of God. And, and they're Pentecostal. And, and God, they're modeling what Acts chapter 2 is all about. And God said, I'm going to put an embassy uh, down the street that's going to model the, the power and anointing of my spirit. And, and up the road, we've got a Nazarene church. And they model after sanctification. 
um, and, and they're, they're looking for people to get serious in righteousness and walk a holy life. And God said, in that embassy, I'm going to put the righteousness and sanctification that people would begin to walk and move according to my needs. Why are we in competition with the embassies that represent our culture? Why don't we begin respecting the various shades and colors of the embassies of heaven? You see, God's doing a new thing in the earth. He's calling his body to come together. Now, I want you to know something. His kingdom is not to be governed by civil government. I know we've got an election coming up, and we're all trying to influence that government. That's what we're supposed to do, influence the government. But that government is never going to represent the government of heaven. They represent the governments of earth. Let them do that. But let us, the government of heaven, speak into the governments of earth. Right? We're not trying to take over and rule people who will not even receive that culture because they they won't even listen to it. You remain faithful to the culture of heaven. Begin to speak into the candidates, and and if some of you want to run for office, begin to speak into that, but you'll be running a civil authority. But you need to do it under the influence of a heavenly kingdom. So civil government's necessary. God gave them to keep peace in the land. But we operate not by civil politics. We operate by heavenly authority. Because there's a whole other realm of operations going on that civil authority doesn't even take into account. There are powers and principalities, thrones and dominions that are ruling and reigning in more authority and power than the people who are mayors and governors over this land. And we have an authority over them. Let's exercise that authority. Let's take the embassy into the heavenlies where it belongs in its reigning and ruling power. So God wants to influence the community in the city you're in. How does he do this? God is looking to bring his government together, not by one church, but the church. God is doing a thing in the earth, I believe, where the divisions of the churches are going to be done. We're done with it. People will fight against this. They'll say it's ecumenicalism. We're not about ecumenicalism. We're about the kingdom of God, but we're about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? The minute we think we're the church that's going to do it, we're off. It's the church, and we need to begin getting a mentality that God's got his embassies all over this place. It's exciting when you begin to consider what would happen if by the Spirit of God, he began to agitate and move in his body to where every church began to move under the authority of Scripture and the Word and the Spirit of God. What dynamic would shift in America? Isn't that awesome? There's churches everywhere right now. Awake, O sleeper, that song said. Awake, O sleeper. What happens when she awakes? What happens when the Lutheran church gets hold of the Reformation fire they once had? The Wesleyan church gets a hold of the revival fire that John Wesley brought. The Nazarene gets a hold of that that, uh, 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 righteous fire of sanctification. And the Pentecostal churches get ignited and move forth in the power of Pentecost. All of a sudden, respecting each other, understanding each other. The Baptist church aflame with an understanding, a deeper move of the Word of God and its authority and power. And all of a sudden, we begin working side by side. It's going to change this culture. Amen? Amen? We've been duped, though. We fight against each other. We say that we're going to do better than they are, and they don't have what we have. Somebody read 1 Corinthians 12. They're not supposed to. 
We all have differing uh, gifts in the body of Christ. Can't you respect the Baptists for what their respect of the Word of God is? Can't we believe for that? I have Baptist friends. Anybody have a Baptist friend around here? How about one of those weird non-denominational people? I don't know where they stand. It doesn't matter. You see what I'm saying? We've caused these divisions and fences. And there's none of that in the kingdom of God. God needs his embassies to be doors wide open. And you see, I'm, I'm telling you, this is already taking place. If you're not aware of what the Spirit is doing in the land right now, you're going to miss it. And there are a lot of churches that will miss it, but they'll catch up. If the Spirit of God is in them, he'll stir them up. But even what we saw last year in each, I'm telling you that what happened last year in our midst was, was uh, unprecedented in the land. Seriously unprecedented in the land. Many of you thought it came and went. It has not. It has done something in the heavenlies and in the realm of all the churches that, that I haven't, not that I'm anything, but I have never seen before in my life. And it's bringing a unity together in the churches, sitting side by side with with Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians, and they're happy to sit next to a Pentecostal. Amazing. No longer is there, that's of the devil, and we don't need to demonize one another anymore. We're beginning to recognize that we love Jesus, and the Spirit of God is moving within us. So what God wants to do is build a city within every city. Yeah, he wants to build the city of God within every region and city. There is a city that we belong to, right? There's a city, as Abraham was looking for a city, whose foundation and architect was God. Well, we've got it here. There's a city that's built right in this region, in Macomb County. Uh, We'll stay focused on that. There is a city within a city. I say that because there's a governmental authority within another governmental authority. There is a nation within a nation. That nation is the nation of heaven, the people of God, the sons of God. And so there is a city that has greater authority than the city we live in. We pray for them. We pray and hope. That's why Paul said, pray for your leaders, because you've got more authority and power in the heavenlies than they do in their civil government. Pray for them. They need help. And not to be led astray. So there is a city within the city. Building a city within a city is what God wants to do. He wants to build the city of the kingdom of Jesus Christ within this community. And it's going to take the Lutheran, the Baptist, the Pentecostal, and all the church members, the believers in Jesus Christ. God never labeled us like that. How did he name his churches? In the New Testament, how are the churches' names? According to their cities. Because he's building cities within cities. And he didn't divide them into Baptist, Pentecostal. That is human. That is human name tags. Why have we adopted human name tags when God never gave us that order? God never told us to call each other these names. Stop name calling. Call them brother, sister. Now that's biblical. Saint, son of God, bride of Christ. Let's get biblical. And stop using what somebody else said we should start calling them. I'm not going to call them names anymore. I'm going to call them believers. I'm going to call them brother. I'm going to call them sister. Because God's building a city. Now, when you begin to see this network that he's already structured here, churches all over the... How many of you know that Detroit is known for being a, a city of churches? 
Churches everywhere, everywhere. There's gasoline everywhere. When the Holy Spirit ignites that fire, this place is going up. It's going up. It's going up. Because there, there, there are storehouses of gasoline everywhere, fuel for heaven everywhere on all the corners. And he's going to do it, I'm telling you, and it's already begun. So we have to understand our positioning in it. The church is to be a spiritually governing force in the city. When we begin to move in unity and in one accord, remember what happened on the day of Pentecost when they were in one accord? And we've been duped by the enemy to name each other so that we would separate. We're not going to do that anymore. We're going to build the city that God wants built. Now, let me ask you this. What happened when Jesus went into cities? He would speak judgments on cities. How many of you remember that? Woe unto you, Capernaum. Right? He ministered to individuals, didn't he? But he called out the responsibility of cities. And when he came into Jerusalem, do you remember what he said in Luke 19? He came into Jerusalem uh, before his last Passion Week, and as he came into the city, he said, Woe unto you, Jerusalem. Oh, how I have longed to gather you together as a mother hen would gather her chicks, but you would not. Then according to Luke, where did he go immediately after that? Into the temple. Isn't it interesting? He rebukes a city, and where does he go to find the trouble for that city? The temple, the spiritual house of that city. See, that's what was wrong with Jerusalem, the spiritual house in the city. He wept over the city, and then he went to clean out the problem. The infection was in the house of God. He went into the temple, and he began to, he was ticked. He was upset because God had a design for the temple so that it would impact the city. Come on, think about it for a minute. What did he say in, in, in the Great Commission when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? He said, tarry in Jerusalem till you're endued with power. There you will be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the world. He starts talking about provinces and regions that the church is to infiltrate and to be the center of to impact regional areas. He went into that temple. He made a whip. He whipped out all the money changers, the animals, and everything else because they were in the temple of the Gentiles. They were in the court of the Gentiles where the nations were able to come and pray. But no one was using it because the Jews were selling their wares in the place. They took over where it was supposed to be prayer for those who were afar off from God. And they shut them out. Their prejudices shut out the Gentiles so that they could make cash. And Jesus was upset. He said, my house shall be a house of prayer. And so he went in. Let me ask you this. You remember when he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? What would have stopped his hand from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah? Ten what? Righteous men. So the fate of a nation and the fate of of a city and the fate of a region is held to whose responsibility? The righteous. See, if we've come here all about us and we're missing the mark, they're going to hell. 
This thing's bigger than you and I, brothers and sisters. And we've got to understand, every now and then, we've got to move up out of the realm of me and see the big picture. We're responsible for this city. We're responsible for what's going on around us. Now, that's not my opinion. That's Jesus's. Are there 10 righteous in this city? You bet there are. Are there 20 righteous? You bet there are. I'm believing there's over 100 right here of righteous people. Now, what can we do with that? We can stop the judgment of God and the infiltration of the enemy into the city. And God wants us to do that. He wants the righteous to rule the climate of the city. Every church in the New Testament is identified by the city it resides in. Therefore, it's responsible for that region. God sees the church as the shepherd of the community, and the church is responsible for it. The righteous are to be the fathers of this city. We're to parent the lost. We're to help them understand what Jesus is all about. If the church does not take authority, the demonic will. If the church does not take its authority, the demonic will. And if the demonic takes over the city, then the city will take over the church. And the church will be a community gathering place. And poverty, perversion, and pain will strike the land. I can give you a case study. Take it home and read it. From the beginning of time, God has called man to take dominion and take authority, take his authority, rule and reign, and begin to utilize it in the city you're placed in. How many of you remember that Adam and Eve were placed in the garden? They weren't birthed in the garden. They were taken and they were apostolically placed in the garden and then given an order. Govern the garden. And from there on out, the message hasn't changed. You and I have a responsibility, brothers and sisters. Well, I don't know if I signed up for that. Is Jesus your Savior? You signed up for it. We're all responsible. What is our calling? Our calling is to this region. The church is not here to, to gather together and, and simply worship Jesus. The church is here to change the culture and to bring the kingdom to bear. Twenty years ago, we started this church with a saying, with a phrase, with a purpose to effectively impact our community by making disciples of Christ. We haven't changed in those 20 years. We've matured, we've learned, we've developed. I believe we're more powerful than ever in a plan and a purpose to do that very same thing we've been working on for 20 years. Now that is a small amount of time because my goal and purpose is to hand this church off to somebody who will minister in it for the next 20 to 30 to 40 to 50 years and then pass it off to someone else who will minister to the next 20, 30 to 40 to 50 years until Jesus comes. I don't know when that is, but that's not my business. He said, occupy till I come. Be busy. Get to work. So our mandate is to call the body together. We're to raise up mature believers. That's what our mandate is, to make disciples. That's what our flavor is. That's what our kingdom edict is. 
is to bring maturity, to equip believers to maturity. And I believe more than ever, as we're finding, we're a, we're a five-fold church, and we want to move in the five-fold. And really, that's what God has called us to, to be an apostolic church. And, and uh, because the apostolic is the spine or the backbone to the five-fold, it lays the foundation it brings maturity and it gathers those together who need to flow in the kingdom purposes. Let me give you a little reference. Those of you who are DI students, you know why I'm all fired up about this. We've been studying and preparing in it. But what does it mean to be an apostle, an apostolic church? What we believe is as an apostolic church is this, the very definition is a culture maker. An apostle is a culture maker. The word originally came from apostolus, and it comes from Rome. The word was developed when the emperor wanted to expand Rome, and he would send out fleets of ships to go infiltrate neighboring lands. And the first pioneering ships that he would send out, that first fleet was called the apostolos, those who were sent forth. And the, uh, ultimately, that lead ship held the lead admiral and that admiral was called an apostle. And the reason that they would go forth into another land is as they would go into the other land, they would bring the culture of Rome into that land. They would begin to change the commerce, the language, and the very culture so that eventually, no matter where you went, it all became the Roman Empire. If I traveled across the continent into a land that Rome had conquested and took, I could speak the same language I did back in Rome, use the same currency, and look at the same government. They were culture makers. Apostles are culture makers. We're to bring the culture of heaven wherever we go. Now, now don't fade out on me because I'm talking about the church. This has everything to do with your household, too. A culture maker. Your house should represent the kingdom of heaven. When someone walks in your house, they'll go, what's that smell? Heaven. Wow. So who did your arrangement? Oh, it's like heaven. I look at the way you guys get along with each other. How is that? That's the culture of heaven. We honor each other more than ourselves. Wow, I saw the way your husband treats you. <laughs> what book did he read? heaven. It's the culture of God. He lays his life down for me in everything. Really? How does that happen? You simply need to come into the kingdom of God and be born of his spirit. You can see in every household here, it's like that. It's supposed to. Right? We're on that road, aren't we? We're trying, we're learning. You see, that's apostolic. We're culture makers. I believe Christ Community Church is a culture maker. We so believe in the culture of heaven, it's developing our family life. It develops the little cubicle that I work in. The cubicle I work in is a little taste of the culture of heaven. Right? You're not going to find this on my computer. You're not going to find that in my books. You're not going to find this. You're going to find the culture of heaven. It's the same thing corporately as a group. You should be able, and this is our goal, you should be able to take the church as a whole and see the culture of heaven and take any individual in that church and see the culture of heaven. That's what a disciple maker is. 
And so we're taking the culture of God into this community. And so we need to begin believing for that, that we're going to effectively impact this community by making disciples of Christ. And that discipling, God has shown us, that discipling is not just people who come in our doors. Do you know how many people we impact that don't attend this church? We impact many people in the community and all around because we're apostolic. We begin to draw people together and we're foundation builders. We speak kingdom wherever we go. We speak kingdom into people's lives. We gather other churches together and other leadership comes together to know and learn and draw on each other. That's a culture of the kingdom. And that's what we're to be, apostolic. The DNA of Jesus Christ we want flowing through us. The apostle governs. The the prophet guides. The evangelist gathers. The shepherd guards the teacher grounds together. And we want to see that fivefold moving in us, and automatically it should cause an expansion. You see, the kingdom will not be effective if the church body does not grow together. One cannot exist without the other. No church body can sustain itself by its own gift. No church should be an island. We've isolated ourselves. Or we'll minister and we'll get together with our little denominations. But as a church, we've never done that. We've always believed in cross-pollination. Now, I hang out with people that I don't agree with their theology. How could that be? Because the Spirit of God lives in them. So you take the meat, you leave the bones. You learn, you discuss these things, but you grow together. Right? And so... That is an apostolic sense of building the kingdom and bringing culture together. We need to bring these people in. It must have a continual input through the fivefold expression so that we will be taught, we'll be rebuked, we'll be corrected, we'll be trained in righteousness. We need to hear other teachers. We need to listen. We need to pay attention. We need to grow together. A church that insulates, isolates, and it will lose perspective. Now, what we're building is more than brick and mortar. We're not here to just simply build more buildings. You're right, we're here to build people. It's in fact even bigger than that. We're not even here just to build people. And what we're building is beyond people and time. What we're building is timeless. Have you ever considered that what we build right now, Jesus could visit in the millennial kingdom? See, Jesus, uh, all right, let me back up. Jesus is coming back to the earth, okay? And when he comes back to the earth, we're coming with him, okay? Now, uh, there'll be those who are going to be on the earth that are believers when he returns. I know that because it says that they'll be transformed instantly at his coming when he returns. Could it be, I don't know when he's coming. What if he came in four years? And what if... um, we're going to add on or build or do something with this facility and we do it in preparation for when he comes back. Have we ever thought of that? Have we ever thought that the ministry we're doing now needs to sustain, needs to sustain so that when he come ba- comes back, he'll, he'll see it and approve? See, we have this escape mentality that whatever we're going to do now is going to be gone, poof, and we're going to get out of here. 
He'll be here for a thousand years. How about what we're building now would last and build in that eternal kingdom? Now, after that thousand years, then things will get remade and a new heavens and a new earth. So let's understand, what we're building is cross-generational. Do you know that there are churches that, that stay one generation and then die? Because they haven't passed it on to the next. We better get busy passing it on, don't you think? Shouldn't we be preparing people to take this church over till Jesus returns? That's apostolic thinking. Here's what we must do. We must break all spirit of competition. As a church, we need to stop competing against other churches. I remember the story about the man who uh, was across the street from Spurgeon. His church was right across the street from Spurgeon's church, known as one of the most eloquent preachers that ever lived. And he was so jealous of Spurgeon that every, every Sunday, Spurgeon's place was just packed and packed, and the people in his church, guess where they went? This guy was filled with such jealousy and anger. He began to seek God on how to get rid of him. God answered him and said, bless him. Pray for his ministry to increase. Pray for him. Pray for Spurgeon to increase. Pray for the giftings to be poured out. Pray, pray for him to be used like never before. So the man gave up and began doing that. And what happened was the move of God was so great and people began filling up that building. They couldn't keep them. They began coming to the other side of the church because that church was filled. And because he was blessed, the outpouring came back onto this preacher and his church started filling up because he was praying for the kingdom of God and not his little house. It's not about how big or what we have. It's about a kingdom principle in this city. Thank God that there's mega churches over there and there's some seeker churches over there and there's some this kind of church over there. Let them do their work. Let's connect with them, let's bless them, and let's do our work, and the kingdom will be built. Amen? Let's stop all competition. Honor the gifts and honor the churches. Let's serve other congregations and other pastors. Let's begin to serve them. Let's begin to bless them. Do you know how many pastors are struggling to stay equipped? Struggling to stay afloat? They're so brokenhearted over their ministries and over their churches. There are people that are just sick over what's happening in their church life. Someone's got to come alongside and pray for them, believe in them. You know, there's churches that pray, oh, I can't wait for that church to bust up. Maybe there are people come over here. Wow, is that what we're about? Encourage others to connect and engage. Let's encourage other congregations. Begin to connect. You need to be a part of each. When each came, what did we do? What was the first thing we did? We handed out DVDs to you to pass out to every church member you ever knew so that they'd get involved in this program. We began to infiltrate other churches saying, be a part of this, be a part of this, come together. Because that's the heart of Jesus. Fourth thing we need to do is be cross-eyed. Stay cross-eyed. We only look at the cross. We just see the cross. We see Christ's purposes and we just look at the cross in all things. 
model righteousness, teach sound doctrine, and be led of the Spirit. That's what God wants. Because judgment starts at the house of the Lord. Would you write down Ezekiel chapter 8 and 2 Kings 23? Ezekiel 8 and 2 Kings 23. I want you to read those this afternoon. God takes Ezekiel in chapter 8 and he says, I want to show you something. And by the Spirit, he bores a hole in the temple and he says, stick your head in there. Ezekiel looks inside and what does he see? He sees the priests in secret and in the dark in the house of God doing detestable things. Remember how I told you that when Jesus wept over Jerusalem, he went to the heart of the matter, the temple. Every time that God was calling out for Israel to repent, he took the prophet into the priests, into the house of God. That's where it starts. If we're believing for revival in this land, if we want America to change its morals and change what's going on, Jesus would bring us to one place only that would change the nation. He would bring us into the house of God. And he would bring us into the offices and into the rooms where the spiritual leaders are. And in Ezekiel 8, he saw them doing detestable things. And he said, this is what they're doing in the house of God. When Josiah Josiah, uh, was going to reform all of Israel, read in 2 Kings 23, it is amazing. All of the idolatry that he has to pull down, the Ashtaroth poles and the, and the idols to Molech. And when you read the passages, guess where you find them? In all the places that God's worship is. We're believing that God is going to do something in these next number of years in the city, but I am going to tell you it's going to start in the house of the Lord. There is idolatry in the house of the Lord. There are detestable things in the house of the Lord. God is going to move. And we've got to understand this. I am giving you a warning right now. As a people of God, we believe in our calling. We believe what God is going to do with us in the next number of years. We're going to bring the culture of heaven into this community. We're going to begin planting other churches because we want to be connecting points to that apostolic call of what God wants to do. But I want to tell you, get ready. This means war. The war in the heavenlies is going to come forth and then the judgment of God is going to come forth for a cleansing. And so we have to be ready for a cleansing of our own hearts and lives. That if we believe in the calling of God that going to church is not just a Sunday going to meeting, but it is actually getting the announcement of the next front that God wants us to move on. It's the next place where God is going to bring healing so that we can be deployed into another area of battle. Then we have to be strong. We have to get healed. And we have to put away the sin that's in our lives contradictions there'll be churches around us that are going to be split and broken apart we need to be there to help those uh, uh, mend what they're going through 
But God's going to clean house. It's going to start. I'm telling you. So it means we need to put on the armor of God and put away the secret things because God has called us to be culture makers and that the, the presence of heaven is going to infiltrate this community and he's asked you to be on the forefront, the apostolic lead of it. And I'm praying that you will understand that call and begin to bring the culture of heaven to your city. Let's bow our heads.